Welcome to Finding the Keys, Conversations on Self-Care for Parents. I'm your host, therapist and coach, Dr. Christine Forte-Klotz. Finding the Keys is not your typical parenting podcast. You won't find instructions or advice here on how to raise your kids. Instead, this podcast is about you as a parent, as a person. We cover real life practices for managing overwhelm, taking care of our health in mind, body, spirit, and embracing the chaos along with the joy that parenting brings. Through the interviews and insights shared, we navigate finding the keys to balance in life, work, and beyond. So join me. Let's get started. Today, we are joined by Dr. Amy Beacom, founder and CEO of the Center for Parental Leave Leadership, which is the first full-service consultancy in the U.S. to focus exclusively on parental leave. Dr. Beacom conceived of and began developing the field of parental leave coaching and consulting in 2006, drawing on over 25 years in executive leadership development and coaching, Amy consults now with Fortune 100 companies, international organizations, working parents, and more to transform the way our companies and our country are engaging with the parental leave transition. She's also the co-author of the Parental Leave Playbook, 10 Touch Points to Transition Smoothly, Strengthening Your Family and Continue Building Your Career. I'll be speaking today with Amy about some of her experiences in developing a program to train parental leave coaches, of which I myself am so honored to have been a graduate and am greatly enjoying getting to work with parents in this time of their lives. And she and I will also talk today about the ways that coaching can be helpful in supporting parents during this vulnerable and unique time, along with some of the specific aspects of this such as how we can work on letting go of guilt, what organizations and managers can be doing to better support their employees during this time. During my doctoral research, I studied American women becoming mothers while living in Shanghai, China. And from spending so much time during that research deeply involved in examining the transition to parenthood, I found that it really is one of the biggest transitions that we go through in life, not only in practical terms, but also as it concerns our identities and how we think about ourselves. I'm so grateful to Amy's work to have really just gone to such great lengths in equipping myself and many others in the field to be better able to support this transition for the people that we work with. And also stay tuned at the end of today's episode for a special segment on more in-depth insights into how we can work on letting go of guilt as a parent when we're feeling stretched too thin. And now here's Amy. Good morning, Amy. And thank you so much for joining us here today on the Finally Keys podcast. I'm so excited to have you to speak with us about the coaching method that you've pioneered for navigating parental leave transitions, a program which I am so proud to be a graduate of myself. And I find that it's just incredibly useful to parents and families. 
Could we start off by just understanding a bit more about it and, and what you've been doing there? Sure, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I just have to say how nice it is to, to see you and hear you. It's been too long. Okay, so the Retain Parental Leave Coaching Program is a coaching method that I began developing nearly 16 years ago when I had my first child. Um, at the time, I was a doctoral student at Columbia University in organizational psychology. And I was also living in New York and working as a consultant and, you know, doing lots of, lots of career-minded things. Um, and then I had my child and was blind excited by the experience of that. Um, up until that point, the focus of my work had been on executive development, leadership development, women's leadership development and advancement, which because of my focus on women often included issues of what at the time was work-life balance that we were calling work-life balance stuff and how that interacted. So I really thought I knew it. And then I had my kid and realized I didn't know anything. <laughs> Um, and began to change the focus of my research from executive coaching to creating a field of parental leave coaching and consulting. And that is where the retain method began since those theory days. Um, and we have piloted it in Australia. I'm trying to think how long ago that was now, nine years ago, eight years ago, um, found that it worked incredibly well. And when I say it, um, what I'm describing is both pedagogy and a method. So the retained parental leave coaching method is a series of interactions that are fairly predictable because we've discovered that everyone goes through what we call the 10 touch points of the transition over the three phases of leave, preparing for leave, during leave, and returning from leave. So over that time frame, which is roughly nine months to a year of time, depending on your length of leave, um, everyone will have, have these moments that have an oversized impact on their experience, for better or worse, depending on how they're handled. So that coaching helps the manager and the new parent go through this time frame. Yeah, well, I can... Already, you know, from what I know of it, I, I can understand you know, many of the ways that it's so useful to expecting in new parents. Are there kind of particular things, maybe even recently in your experiences with it, that have jumped out at you as like, oh, this is so important that we are addressing this? I think the part that continues to amaze me is how important that personal connection is that that new parent gets through their coach relationship. Um, I have played with many, many different ways to scale this using different technologies or removing that coach from, from the situations. So a lot of it is are things that can be self-taught and you can learn them along the way. Um, in fact, we're in process of creating a membership program where a lot of these questions are coming up now, like how much can be self-led, how much needs a coach, you know, those kinds of things. But what I'm constantly amazed by is even if someone is doing a hundred percent better than where they were with just the resources and tools, 
when that coach comes into the equation for them, they're doing a thousand percent better. So it is such a monumental jump up for someone to have some handholding and love and connection to walk with them through the uncertainty that often comes during this extremely complex time in a person's professional and personal life. Yeah, there really, I guess, just doesn't seem to be your replacement for having human help and, and guidance. Right. As much as we might try to roll it into it, ask for something, it just doesn't, yeah, it's not quite the same thing or even not quite. I mean, it's, it's vastly not the same thing, Yeah, but it's beyond not quite. Right. And you, you think you can easily think, oh, I've got this information. I'm, this is so much better. I know what I need to do to offboard my leave plans now and onboard my leave plans. But when you have a coach sitting with you who is asking you how you are, you have a moment to pause and move out of that learning mode into presence mode. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that any expecting parent can practice for themselves because they will need it throughout their entire rest of their life because you're never not a parent, right? And so having that time with that coach to to sit and think of the practical stuff, of course, but also of the social pieces, the emotional pieces, the things that that parent needs in order to feel grounded and present and whole so that they can show up as the parent they want to be instead of the one they have to be because they're haggard and overwhelmed and haven't had anyone else help them fill their own cup, right? Like those um, the coach does that. I'm just thinking of a coach, a, a client that I had earlier last week who um, worked for a law firm and has just been exhausted, just exhausted. And she's plugging along. She's doing great. She's on her return, but nobody had stopped to ask her how she was. And I just said, okay, let's just pause. Just tell me how are you doing? And she just burst into tears. And she was like, that is so unexpected. I wasn't, I was fine. I was fine before this question. Right? And I said, of course you were. And all that stuff is below the surface. You know, I'm totally here to listen to it. What ended up happening was as soon as she could have that, that release of just like, oh, all this emotion is here. She could focus more fully on where her value aligned choices were going to be. So anyway, I just, that's the thing that's striking me this week is how important that relationship is. Exactly. And it sounds like it was so worthwhile to her to to be able to have that moment to process those emotions. And I find this is, I guess, the period sort of prenatally, but especially postpartum can be a time that perhaps largely due to the way our society is structured currently or whatever, can just be really isolating for a lot of new parents. Um, and so to have kind of that the human help and guidance, again, beyond just receiving information. You're touching on one of the saddest things I think of in our country, that isolation at a time where you most need connection, where you most need your village. And some of our clients are have just moved and they don't have any social structures set up yet or social supports in place. Some are military parents and they're moving all the time and they don't have, you know, they can't keep a, a network in place. Um, so that 
the harsh, harsh reality is that for many people in this country, their coach is their only person they're talking to about this. If they go to the pediatrician, they're talking about their child. If they go to work, that people are asking about their child or some aren't working. Some are, you know, <laughs> working from home by themselves or it is extremely isolating. And with that comes all sorts of physical, mental challenges. I mean, one of the things that we do through our coaching program is um, screen for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders from the very first session through every session through the return. So making sure that people are being screened and then referred out for diagnosis if that is looks like it is necessary. Um, because of often nobody else is asking them, right? Nobody, they have nowhere else. They don't know. It's very difficult to understand what is the, nor, quote, normal baby blues versus what is something that can get more support. Um, so, yeah, that's just another place where having that, that extra set of eyes and supports on you can give that more um, removed perspective that can get lost when you're in your own mind as a new parent. And which I guess is then so important to, to them being able to develop self-care and positive patterns for that. Uh, I think many of our listeners are probably parents who are, are more in the, um, the phases yes. much following yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe who either have toddlers or even older children. And I'm curious if you feel like some of, you know, what you use, particularly in return to work sections mm -hmm. of the, the coaching model, if there's parts of that that you've found useful to parents with older children, or if you've ever been engaged with, you know, working with yes. parents who are more in that stage. It's a great question. So I've come to realize that I didn't start this work and this focus on parental leave because I love babies. <laughs> I do. I, I've come to love babies, but I, I love mothers and I love, um, I've come to love fathers too, but it started because of my love for mothers. And that doesn't, that's not contained to the singular time in a life, right? What I'm, the reason I focus on that time is much more practical. It's because that's how we build our foundation for who we are as people and mothers and fathers as we grow in our parenthood journey. And so all of the tools and resources that we use then are designed to grow with you and get practice more and more over time. So um, when you talk about self-care, I have potentially a, a different way of looking at self-care than, than some people in that I, I think self-care is about self-skill. <laughs> I think there's, um, well, first of all, there's self-care and then there's systems and you can often get derailed by the systems around you that are put in place that can impact you negatively as a parent. But for self-care, we often think the bubble baths and, you know, checking out and watching Netflix or eating a tub of ice cream. And that is not self-care in my mind. That is um, damaging actually. And sometimes we need it. And I'm all for it. I will do that this weekend. Right? Like There will be times. But if that isn't the thing that I rely on to fill me up. 
what I rely on to fill me up is making sure that I have um, structures in place in my life that feed me. And, and for every person, those are different. And that I also have clarity around my values and my boundaries. So I know when to say no, when something doesn't fit with what I want for what I'm building in my life and for my family, when I, when it's time to remove something from my full plate, you know, those, those kinds of things to me are, are true self-care, knowing your finances and your budget and not overspending to the point where you're stuck in a hard position, that's self-care. No, like some of it's hard stuff, right? Having a difficult conversation that is nagging at you, that's self-care, um, being able to do that. So, and I, I would agree about that. I mean, and that's part of why actually I started this podcast, <laughs> because I feel like self-care is, is often kind of this term that's given lip service as being just, you know, some of these creature comforts that you describe, mm-hmm. which of course can be nice and have to be place, but that they are very far from being the full picture of how do we protect and recharge our own energy. Uh, and then I find it's, it's much more of a mindset of what do I, what do our priorities look like? And then how do we make sure that our life is matching up to into what we would hope to prioritize and value. Yeah. And when you ask about what you're making me think of is the the parental leave transition assessment um, and the values exercise. So we start with our coaching with a a values exercise that has everyone um, read a list of like a hundred values and decide, narrow it down to five, which is extremely difficult to do, and then turn those into actions in your day-to-day life so that, you know, say your value is family. And what then deciding what does that mean for you? What does family mean for you? What is going to make that be something that is centered in your life? So what we focus on is what happens in our lives. So does that mean you, you know, for some people, it means they want dinner together every night. For some people, it means a hike on Sunday mornings with the whole family. For whatever that, the way that that's defined when you put that into an action and create the space in your schedule to make sure it happens, that's also self-care. And so that is something that happens at this time where you're forming your family that you can start to like use like a muscle, right? You're practicing it, you're working it over time, but it's also something that you can start doing later. Um, when you have older children and you're like, whoa, I'm really off where I wanted to be at this point. Nobody says you can't stop right then and have a family meeting or go off on a retreat by yourself for an hour in the bathroom or on Mount Everest, like wherever you can do it in your family and say, okay, where do I, how do I reset here? Um, I love parental leave because it's a reset moment. It's a, where everything is up in the air and changing and transitioning, and you have a chance to consciously set it back down where you want it to be. So that makes it easier, but that doesn't mean you can't create those moments at any time in your life. And then there's boundary, you know, there's like, there's tons of things that continue to, all of it matters later. Yeah. I I just love the section in your book, uh, the parental leave playbook where you talk about reasons to reject working parent guilt. I mean, it's, it's a section of about a page. I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I feel like it could be a whole book in and of itself. 
because <laughs> this is just, I think, such an important piece of that mindset of how do we prioritize and, and how that then kind of dovetails into our self-care. Could you speak a little bit more about that, kind of about what you've noticed in terms of some of the origins and results of working parent guilt? I mean, it just yeah. is a constant, right? It's just mm-hmm. a heavy blanket over you all the time, no matter if you're, you're, you're guilty at work or you're guilty at home. You know, it just is, is a thing. Um, it's just internalized sexism. Right? <laughs> That's all it is. Um, and I, what I mean by that, and we have it on both sides, we have cultural stereotypes in our country of who's the primary homemaker, who's the default parent, and it is still usually the mom, and who's the default breadwinner, and it's usually the dad, even if that's not actually what's happening in your family. Um, The assumptions and the unconscious biases are that is what happens, and we have them internalized within our own minds that if we're not following that trope, we're somehow bad or we're somehow, we should be guilty. We should, we're not living up to what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and so it's a really, really difficult to unpack and to release because it's so insidious. It's so, so insidious. Uh, and every parent out there knows what I'm talking about. I think what moms don't often realize though, is how much it impacts dads. That guilt when they are not Well, it usually starts around parental leave when they become that family and that dad is not able to be there in the equal numbers of days that the mom is in our country. Um, For your listeners, 25% of new moms, birthing parents go back to work within 25, I'm sorry, within uh, two weeks of giving birth, which is incredibly insane. But dads have two to three days on average if they have anything. So those dads are going back and they're feeling like they're abandoning their spouses, but they are supposed to be making the money and that's how they can support. And in many families, that is dis- that doesn't fit, right? That doesn't fit with what they want. But anyway, where I'm going with this is I was talking to someone yesterday who I don't think most listeners probably don't know, but in the construction trades, the number one cause of death is suicide. And it is in large part, in my opinion, and what I've seen, because of how families are set up early on with those dads in that role of I'm the breadwinner, I'm supposed to bring home the money, I'm supposed to be out there doing this construction, and there's no leave, they have no leave. So the moms are put in a position where they are primary breadwinner, they form that bond with that child, I mean, sorry, not breadwinner, primary caregiver. They form that bond with that child and they are, that continues. And what that does is what you were talking about earlier with isolation. And I'm just, I just think we don't talk about dads enough. So that's why I'm I'm bringing this into the conversation. That dad is removed from that core family unit in a particular way that makes them consciously or not feel like they don't matter, that they can be replaced, that they're just a paycheck. They're just, um, you know, that can always be replaced, that their core of their being isn't needed for that child or, or mom or other part of their family to survive. So it's, we see this across 
across the board with dads, but talking to this construction worker dad about suicides last night uh, just really drove it home for me. Um, so I'm just <laughs> maybe that's throwing us too off topic, but I think it's an important. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think it is. You know, it, it is one of those things that's just so painful even to think about. Yeah. But the, if that is a reality for people working in that industry or for families there, then it absolutely is something that needs attention and, and needs to be addressed. And I, I'm not, my point is, it's not isolated to the construction trades. Mm-hmm. It's highlighted there, but that is that experience, more high level of, of being, feeling other than the core of that, that meaningful love part of the family is extremely isolating for dads. It's very hard. And if that time isn't done well or noticed later and repaired can really lead to divorce, uh, disconnection from fathering, you know, uh, all all of the things that lead to suicide. Right. Right. Of course, that it can be detrimental to, to families, you know, of course, across the industry. Yeah. Mean to and in minor and in minor ways yeah. too. I don't mean to just go like to right. the hard no. Yeah. yeah. No, that well that postpartum depression in men is a very real thing. And luckily is starting to get a bit more attention. Actually our our first episode on this podcast and spoke with Matt Schneider of City Oh Gaps fantastic. And, <laughs> and also did a segment at the end about postpartum depression in men, uh, because it, it is something that, you know, for either parent, where they're experiencing this kind of mood disturbance and distress, it's, you know, it's it's very distressing and painful to them, but also can then be painful to other members of the family or, you know, to the bonding with the child. And so it's something that absolutely yeah. we need to be helping. And I do think if any of your listeners are feeling as I often have of like, oh my gosh, could we just deal with the dads after we've helped the moms? Like we just, the moms are in crisis. We need to support the moms and change the system this way. What I've come to learn is that the answer is no, we cannot do one without the other. We cannot do this in isolation. And that is um, until we have dads that are that equity piece goes both ways, right? Until we have dads that are equal caregivers, moms will continue to shoulder the the burden, right? That feels like a burden because they're alone. Um, until that is done equally, until companies think to call the father, you know, not companies, till schools <laughs> think to call the fathers as much as they think to call the mothers if that child is sick, um, you know, do the radical act of putting your Putting the dad's number down is the emergency contact, right? <laughs> and they still won't call it. They'll still call the moms. And there's lots of research to show this. But um, until those dads are really considered equal in that, we will not be able to have all of the the pieces that make it so hard on the moms change. Oh, exactly. This is a, a, a system working together. Yep. Pivoting a little bit, but speaking of systems... I wanted to ask you about, you know, I know that in the retaining coaching model, you do mention working with managers and that is something that's a part of the model. 
What are some of the more important ways that you've found that managers or even more broadly organizations can support with parents? It is such an important piece of this puzzle, isn't it? Okay, so the Retain Parental Leave Coaching Method is a manager-new-parent-aligned program and method so that that new parent and that manager are being given the same information, that same language is created, that same expectations are created, but from their vantage points. So what that looked like practically are things like the first touch point is the announcement. That new parent is learning about what are the best practices for how do I make my announcement? Do I talk about it at the water cooler and my manager overhears it? And you know, where's that going to go in setting the tone for my leave versus how do I go in with confidence, think through how is this going to be a, a developmental opportunity for everybody? Where are the good parts? Where are the bad parts? How are we going to get over them together? Um, and really lead that leave with setting that tone in a more positive, excited kind of way. So there's the parent side of that. But then on the manager side of the announcement, they also need to know how to respond to the announcement. So the manager might, for example, be taught, no, you don't want to say, oh, this is the worst time you could possibly do this. Could you please? <laughs> like, we can't handle it. No. Or do you say, wow, that is really exciting. I'm so excited for you. This is crazy time at work, as you know, and don't worry about it. We are going to figure that out together. Like That sends a much different message. Let's get a time on the calendar, et cetera. So along this, these touch points, the manager is learning about this. And through that, they're learning about what that parent is going through. They're learning about what they need to do to help support that. And in that, the part that is more subtle is they are deepening that relationship with that new parent. And so they are, they're invested in their success. They are they're in it. They're in those conversations from the beginning of how do we we do this well together? And this is obviously I'm no I know that there are many, many companies in this country where people are going to say, well, my manager doesn't care about me or my company doesn't care about me. They just care about my, you know, my me showing up and doing the work and I'm going to get fired if I'm pregnant or, you know, those things do happen. But I've been doing this for a long time and the vast majority of places just don't know that they are doing things wrong or they're scared they're going to say the wrong thing. Nobody has taught any managers except for the few companies we've done this in compared to the millions in this country um, that how to do this well. They've no, that, that isn't a part of our standardized process, process yet to do manager training. And when a manager is given permission to ask that parent how they are, to ask them what they need, to tell them they know where the resources are and they're going to get them to the right person, to tell them that they are going to ease back in on the other end and not to worry. They can come in on a reduced schedule or over you know a few weeks or whatever it is. When that manager is given that permission to be a human and the tools and resources to do it well, it changes the whole dynamic. So Everything we do focuses on making sure that happens while we're also working with HR to make sure the policies are in alignment and everybody's getting the right education and tools and resources and support. It's a, it's a heavy lift. <laughs> but but I think you're right about that, that a lot of managers, given the tools and the policies, do want to, you know, to be helpful 
to yes. those who report to them and, and want to can do the right thing, if you will. Like, I don't think that most managers are desiring to ultimately perhaps lose their employees because those employees don't want to come back after a leave or something like that. Right. Uh, but you're right that I think there is often that gap of, well, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we do this? And I think we've set up an us versus them mentality in our country of it's the parents against the companies and because we haven't had paid leave and we haven't had a process around leave and it's fallen on all the parent, you know, the moms mostly shoulders. Um, but I just want to challenge your listeners a little bit to think about how under they don't know what they're doing either. <laughs> Nobody's giving them the tools. And parental leave is not actually a company level issue to solve. It really is a federal issue to solve. And we haven't done that in this country. We have a, a patchwork quilt of policies in 11 states plus DC around paid leave. And the, even in those states that do have paid leave or paid leave coming, they're, not, they're just barely starting to hear us talking about practice. And practice is what I'm, you know, practice is what supports that policy to not just be a, you know, words on paper, but to be something that makes lives better. And so there, there's movement, but there's a lot, lot more to do. And just for, because I know your listeners are further along in their parenthood journey, all of those changes within the companies and with the managers to understand how to support a new parent means they know how to support any working parent. They know how and have been given permission to treat them with grace and humanity and kindness um, to make sure that the business needs are being accomplished while the personal needs of the employees are as well. Oh, and that's such a good point that this can apply to, to parents at all stages. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just have to be about that initial leave period. Yeah, and that ultimately is is such an important piece of you know that larger picture that we're talking about of within the family being able to prioritize certain things or you know kind of to do self care uh, rather than just doing everything a thousand miles an hour and then heading for a burnout. Yeah, I I don't know why I feel compelled to say this right now, but I. I'm talking about all these things, but in practice, all of this stuff is complicated. And I don't want your listeners to think like, oh, somebody else has it all figured out. And I'm the one over here who hasn't figured it out yet. And it's just too hard. Every single person that we talk to, no matter if they are on their fifth kid or their first kid, or, you know, for me, my children are 13 and 15. Every day is is a new juggling act, right? Every day is a new reevaluation of what takes priority today. Oh, kid's sick today. Okay, here we go on that one. Um, I today found out that tomorrow my mother-in-law is coming to live with me because she has, <laughs> so I found that out last night. So to, you know, that that's gonna take a whole reorg. What does that mean for my work? What does that mean for caregiving? What does that mean, you know, for my husband? Um, so everybody is navigating this on a daily basis. And what I'm advocating for 
is that the self-care looks like finding the time wherever you can carve it out to think about what you need to make yourself to reset your nervous system, to give yourself the right food, to do have a conversation where you just cry with a friend, right? Whatever it is that is going to let you respond to the day-to-day, which in our world right now is nuts, is nutsy, nutsy, nuts. And none of us have ease right now. I think that's such a good point that self-care and sort of recalibrating self-care is a continual practice that is always changing as our circumstances change, as we change and develop. Uh, and, and that's part of why I was asking earlier about, you know, parents who are a bit beyond the parental leave is because I wouldn't want anyone to feel like, oh, I didn't figure all these things out after my leave. Well, I guess I've missed the boat. Like, well, right. no, probably no one has them all figured out. <laughs> nobody, nobody. Right? I literally, um, yeah, I'm literally the expert in this country on this and I do not have it figured out, right? Not to, so yeah, you do not have to have it figured out, but what you do need is to have the strength to each day vow to look at it and and hone it and experiment and find the ways that work for you to to make it better each day. Well, I think that sounds like a good note for us to wrap up on. Thank you so much again, Amy, for joining us here today, for bringing all of your expertise and your love for this work. It's it's really been wonderful to get to speak with you. Oh, thank you. You too. As I talked about with Amy just now, feelings of guilt and inadequacy often both at work and at home are ever present for many of us. They're just always there. Thoughts around we're not doing something well enough or enough or the right way. Dealing with these and letting them go could be an entire book or podcast series in and of itself. But today I'd like to share just at least a few insights that I found helpful, starting with how I find it can be so useful to take a look at the source of the messages that say to you, you're doing something wrong. Where are the feelings of guilt coming from? And what makes you think that you are doing something wrong? Is it concretely feedback from someone in the workplace, maybe about meeting their expectations for a project or responsibility? And where this is the case, we can take a moment to examine this. Do you agree with them that you should be doing more in that area? Competing parenting demands aside, is what they're asking a reasonable expectation given your compensation and the amount of work that you do already that really you should be adding to that to do more? This is something I often look at with clients, both parents and those that are not parents, because it actually seems that over the last several decades in many fields, there has been this increase in the demands of work to the point that many people seem to be expected to just work all the time. There's supposed to be this excitement around the intensity of always working, which while maybe that seems fun on the surface level of a sitcom where that's happening to a team at work, this is ultimately not sustainable in life and for most people not desirable in terms of how they want to live. 
parent or not, we do, for most of us, seek to have some kind of balance between work and a life outside of work. Just in terms of for nothing else, if, if our work is going to be sustainable, we need to be replenishing our energy so that we don't burn out. So if it is the case that we're getting feedback at work that something we're doing isn't enough, could it be worth parsing through where some boundaries might need to be set with whoever's expecting that? Or does it need to be the case that more resources are brought on to a particular project? I know some of that might be easier said than done, but I think it is worth kind of checking through are the expectations that we are drawing feelings of guilt from, ones that we actually agree with and think are correct? Or is this a situation where the information that's contributing to the guilt relating to how you're doing as a parent? So might this feedback or messaging that you're getting be from other members of your community or extended family or society as a whole? Again, if that's the case, taking a moment to really check into examining if you feel like this messaging is in line with your values. So for example, if you're feeling guilty about taking your child to daycare instead of staying home with him or her, take some time to really think through what it would mean if you were to stay home. Is this something that you agree you should actually be doing? Would you feel satisfied and fulfilled? Would you bring the energy for quality time with your child? Or might it be that you would end up feeling resentful of this from having lost some of the intellectual and career projects and challenges that you find fulfilling? Might it also be that this would place a lot of financial strain on the family? Or maybe you're finding that your child really is benefiting from the social and educational elements of daycare, that they have friends there and that they're learning things. And perhaps it it wouldn't be desirable to take that environment away from them. So while staying at home is an option that is the right fit for some parents or households and, and certainly can be wonderful and important in a lot of cases, that doesn't mean that it's the best or the right thing for everyone. Or there might be other sources of guilt, like pressures from family or even internal pressures about what we expect from ourselves. These can be examined in a similar way. What do we truly believe is the best and right thing for ourselves, for our families? Sometimes we need to rebalance also the quality of time with quantity when it comes to being together, for example. When you've determined your beliefs about the sources of the guilt that you've been feeling, begin then to either take steps towards changing what feels wrong to the extent that it's possible, and then work on saying goodbye to the guilt. And this is the emotional piece, the processing that we have to do there, where we actually emotionally work on recognizing it and letting it go. Or if the situation is that it's not really possible to change things fully or that there aren't things to change, it's important then to keep in mind that you are doing what you can, given your emotional resources, 
given the degree to which a situation may be challenging, and be sure to give yourself credit for that. If you don't think there is something you should change about a situation, keep that in mind as well in working on letting the guilt go. You are doing what you believe is right, and so there is really no place for guilt here. Of course. I'm so familiar, all of this being said, with how this is a process and one that we have to continually revisit. It isn't a switch that we just flip off and on, but rather is one that usually has to be built or worked on over time. I also know that this is all just really the very tippy point of the iceberg when it comes to letting go of guilt. So we'll definitely continue to dig into the topic of parental guilt more in future episodes. The emotional experience of guilt, of course, can be useful when it's needed for course correction. But I would say that all too often it goes too far. We can find ourselves feeling dragged down by guilt we don't even really believe in, which in the end doesn't accomplish anything for anyone, and it just further drains our already limited time and energy. Thank you all again for joining me here today. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you along with me on this journey. As always, I welcome your feedback and your questions. Please let me know what you want to hear about. Contact info is in the show notes. And also don't hesitate to share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from it. We'll be back next time with more.